0: Hey, you're listening to City Lift Church's podcast. We hope today's message fuels you with courage for your journey. Here's today's message. You guys picked a good Sunday to come to City Lift Church. We are right in the middle of our Grace Series. And uh, today is so profound and powerful. Um, I really wanted to preach it like I did last week. And I really think God was talking to me all week long about slowing down and teaching this message because I don't want anybody to miss this one. I'm, I'm preaching a message or teaching, I guess, a message called "Grace is Greater than Shame," and shame is one of those very powerful, very negative, nasty emotions that honestly has the ability to really shut your Christian life down in a lot of ways. One of the ways it does that is it really erodes at your joy, and and you need your joy because. Joy is your fuel for life. The Bible says the joy of the Lord, that's my strength. And, and if the enemy can get you loaded with shame, you begin to hide, you begin to shut down, you begin to mask. And, and so we're going to dive in today on like kind of what shame is. I, I, I looked at some like psychology of it so we could really define what shame is. And, uh, and how we pick up shame, how we put it on ourselves, how sometimes other people put shame on us. And so instead of living under the umbrella of the identity of God, we begin to live under the identity of others and the identity of shame. And it, and it really keeps us from living a full like full of life, kind of Christian life, and so I, I'm really, really, really excited to dive into it. Before I do, that, can we just go up for our man Sean, who who uh, did this really quick? I love, that's I really great, man. I, I love it. So. Um, and uh, I actually, I, when I knew Sean was going to do this, and I was talking about this, and I talked to Sean about this already, so it's clear with him. But we are going to give this uh, picture to Gary and Ashley. And I felt like God put on my heart to give that to them when they did that. So I know y'all can, like, cry later, right? Like, And so I love this couple. They, they started coming, what, six months ago? And, man, their lives have been transformed by the power of God's grace. So we just give it up for them really quick. and. Put y'all on blast, but you're gonna get that picture in a second. All right, you're, you're gonna. It's and it's it's cute. I wanted to take it home, but God said to give it to you. So whatever. And so anyway, um, it's uh, it's beautiful though. It's beautiful. So let's let's go. If you have your Bibles, you can kind of follow along with me. Um, and if you just want to follow along up here, that's that's fine too. Going to going to visit some scriptures, look at some things. I'm going to break uh, it down a little bit and and talk through it. But I honestly really believe with all my heart, if you can grab some of the stuff. That's in today. It, it is going to change the way that you look at yourself. It's going to change the way you interact with God and the way you interact with others. And for some of us, you're, you're, so much of your life is locked in shame, and you may not even know it. You might be living under the shame of somebody else. And, and, and so today, I think today's for you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help set you free. So no further ado. Let's, let's jump in. I want to start in Genesis two twenty five. It's just up here, really quick, one line. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They, they, they had no shame at all. And uh, here, here's the thing. You and I were never created to live under shame. We were never created for the emotion of shame. That's, that's kind of a powerful thought when you, when you think about that. I was never designed to experience shame. I, I'm to live a shame-free life. And so after the fall, Genesis 3.10, here we go. Literally just a chapter later, after they made a choice to sin, it says God's talking to Adam, and he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid I was naked because I was naked, so I hid. Isn't that amazing? That the moment sin enters the world, he recognizes, yo, I'm naked. He feels shame, and he begins to hide, and, and he's, he's got fear, and, he, and he's running away. Here, here's the thing about shame. It always causes you to hide in some way. It'll cause you to hide your true personality in front of your classmates or at work. It'll cause you to hide your true self on social media. It'll cause you to mask. right? Adam and Eve had to get, had to get fig leaves. right? They had to cover themselves. They, it'll always cause you to cover. Shame will steal your smile. It'll steal that sparkle, twinkle in your eye. It, it'll conceal your laugh. You, you ever have just a great laugh and somebody mocked it one time? And then you never laugh like that again. I was on a mission trip this year in Peru, and the one of the kind of person that was kind of co-working with me, she had one of the craziest laughs of all time. And she legitimately snorted. She was one of those people that's like, <laughs> and like she actually did it. And and so she's like a thirty, like five year old mom of three kids. And she's like, <laughs> like, and she would do it all the time. And after like the first few times, I'm like, "Oh my God, that's her real laugh," you know, like, like she's not faking it. She legitimately snorts. And uh, but I went up to her, and I said, I was like, "Can I just tell you, like, like how grateful I am that in your 30s you're still snorting? That means you survived elementary school, you survived middle school and high school. Even your college professors couldn't get you to change that snort. You are letting out you to the world." And but what happens for so many of us, we do something and we're ashamed, and then we begin to to try to cover and, and and try to mask it, right? I don't know if anybody's ever mentioned your bad breath. I mean, what are you doing five times a day? You're you're flossing, you're brushing, you're throwing mints in, or whatever. You're just ashamed. You're like, oh, not me. I don't I don't want to have bad breath. And and so like whatever it is, we we all know what it's like to experience shame. Now let me identify it. For us, really quick, this morning, and my iPad closed, so one second, got to bring it back up. Technology is great when it works, and it's a bummer when it doesn't work. This is Dr. Lewis. He's a psychologist, and I love this definition. He says, shame, like guilt and embarrassment, involves negatively judging ourselves when we believe we fail to live either up to our own standards or the standards of other people. And he says, he goes on to say, he goes, recall a time when you experienced shame whether it was a reaction to judgment by others or your own, you most likely experienced intense discomfort, feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness, and a desire to hide. Isn't that interesting? Thousands of years later, same, same kind of story, that hiding. And you most likely felt anger toward others or with yourself. Another psychologist, Dr. Mary Lamia, says this, and I want to point this out so we can make a distinction this morning. Shame can lead us to feel as though our whole self is flawed, bad, or subject to exclusion. She goes on to say it motivates us to hide or do something to save face, so it's no wonder that shame avoidance can lead to withdrawal or to addictions. She says shame is often confused with guilt. Here's the distinction I want to make this morning. It's an emotion we might experience as a result of doing wrong and feeling remorseful for it. That's that's guilt we want to make amends. She says where we will likely have an urge to admit our guilt... Or talk with others about the situation that left us feeling guilty, it is much less likely that we're going to broadcast our shame. In fact, we'll most likely conceal what we feel because shame does not make a distinction between an action and the self. Shame, she says, bad behavior is not separate from bad self as it is with guilt. So guilt deals with what I've done. Shame is dealing with who I am, okay? Okay. And so here's the distinction between God's grace and shame. And if you don't make this distinction right in your, in your own head and heart, you're, I think you're forever going to have problems with your Christian life. Okay, here we go. So, because here's the thing. Grace attacks the sin and the death that it brings, yet it accepts the value of the person. And if you're taking notes this morning, write that down. Grace attacks the sin and the death and condemnation that it brings, but it, but it honors the value of the person. Why? Because every human being, regardless of what nation they come from, how much money they make, the color of their skin, however they define themselves, they were created by God. And because they are a creation of God, they have value. God wants a relationship with them. That's very, very powerful. And so grace says, I value you. Yes, you're doing things that are wrong, but my grace forgives, cleanses, empowers you to change. But the value never went anywhere. So that's what grace does. Shame doesn't just attack what you did. It attacks and devalues who you are. So grace is saying, you're valuable. We'll deal with this. Shame is just saying, you're not valuable. You're not worthy of this. You're not good enough. And and it becomes the person now. So grace addresses behavior but leads towards repentance so newness can begin. Grace makes a way for better and healthier relationships. Shame shuts down relationships and creates hiding and masking. I want to read this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There is a thing in the Bible called godly sorrow. As a believer, when I sin, I want to have godly sorrow. This is something the Holy Spirit produces. When when I know I've done wrong, I I want to to feel the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is not shame, right? That's not shame. This is something that, that God is producing to lead me to God so that I can repent, be forgiven, and have newness of life and a deeper relationship with God. Shame is all about rejection. It's all about me either rejecting myself or other people rejecting me or whatever it is. That, 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 the thing with grace is grace is like, let me work on this behavior, but I love and accept you and I want you. Shame is like, I don't want you, I reject you. So now it's this thing where like I, I've become the thing. God this morning is not trying to shame us. He's trying to recreate us. And If you're taking notes, write that down again, please. God this morning is not trying to shame us. He's trying to recreate us. So if I feel godly sorrow, man, that's a good thing. I want to I lean into that and work with it and let God lead me toward repentance. But he's not trying to lead me there. He's trying to recreate my life so that I can be better and, and be closer. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. God loves you. Yes, broken, messed up, not always act righteous, right? Like, he loves you. He loves that person. And he's not trying to load shame on you. He's trying to recreate you. He's trying to deal with what's negative so that you can get closer. You know, as we talk about, like, holiness and becoming more like God, God doesn't want us to be more like him so he can control us. He's just trying to be close to us. That the entire thing is based on relationship, uh, the authenticity of it, and the closeness of it. You'd say, yo, Pastor Matt, I I love it. That's good so far. I I agree with you. Why does shame feel so deep and so heavy? Why is it such a struggle in my life? Why can't I just feel good and valued and all those kinds of things? For a lot of us, guys, and here's what I want to break it down a little bit. It started a long, long, long time ago. One of the psychologists shared a story about uh, one of his clients named Jeremy. And he said when Jeremy was six years old, he wetted the bed, which is something that probably a good chunk of us have done as a child, that he he, he wetted the bed, right? He peed the bed. And his dad at six years old came in to the bedroom, and he had a scowl on his face. He said, how could you? You know, I can't believe you wet the bed. You're too old to wet the bed, you big baby, Right? And, and, then, and then only to, to you know, kind of expand the shame now on Jeremy's young life, the dad calls all the siblings in to come and see the mess that he made. And he said, even as an adult, Jeremy is now in his 30s, and he said, even in my 30s, I still can vividly see the scowl that my father had when he was looking at me and remember a time that we felt great shame. And and we remember what it was like to, to be shamed and, and to feel that, that terrible, terrible emotion. I remember one time when I was in high school and uh, I, had, I, was, I was on the track and field team. And I was, uh, I was in, uh, I think I was in the eighth grade at the time. And I had just mustered up enough courage to talk to this girl that I thought was really cute in the eighth grade. And, and I was like, man, she's out of my league for sure. And I remember I was just so, like, intimidated already to talk to her. And, and so here I am talking to her on, on the track and field, you know, field before the race. And, and I'm trying to lower my voice, like, what's up, girl? You know, like, you know how guys are. Like, and, and, so, and so, like, I'm trying to, you know, do all these things. And I had a guy come up to me who also liked this girl. And so he's just trying to be a jerk. And I had those little tra- little track pants on and, um, and they, which are not really, like, really good anyway, right? Edwin knows what I'm talking about because he he ran track, and Edwin's a beast. And, uh, but they're they're kind of weird anyway. And he comes up, and he pants me right there as I'm talking to her. And I had those little, like, tight, tight, like, running, you know, like, tidy whitey kind of looking things, and they, they make them for track and field, whatever. But it was not a lot, you, you know? And, and I, I remember in that moment... <laughs> Feeling intense shame, right? Like, I mean, my legs are white, guys. Like white people problems. I mean, I, there's no tan going on from here to here. I, I I wear board shorts, and so you're not you're not gonna see me on South Beach in a in a bikini kind of thing, you know? Like, I I don't believe in speedos for men, and so and so I'm just like, yo, I'm very very pasty from here to here, and and I it was embarrassing, it was shame filled, and and I remember like being so full of shame. For like two seconds, I think I couldn't move. I'm like, and I just couldn't move. And I'm like, this is not happening to me. But it did, and man, we never went out. Right, that was, I mean, the end of that. And, uh, but I remember, and, and that never left me. I'm 37 years old, and I can vividly remember that moment. Isn't it, isn't it powerful how shame can just stay with us? Don't you just wish that we could hold on to, to the good moments much, much longer? And just forget all that. But it's, why is it those shameful moments are just so intense? But they just they really come come after us. And so in um, some of you grew up in families that were very, very good and healthy and loving. And some of you grew up in some families that maybe didn't quite get a distinction between behavior and personhood. And here, here's where I want to dig a little bit, okay, because this is so important for us. If we rewind back to our childhood, and I think sometimes, guys, some of us will spend the next sixty years undoing the first twenty years. For some of us, and, and so and so, if you grew up in a healthy home, if you if you spilled the milk when you were four years old, maybe you heard something like, "Hey, baby. First of all, it's okay. You know, we all make mistakes. Let, let's let's put a let's put like a, a little lid on your sippy cup next time, and maybe we could be a little bit more careful. Let mommy and daddy help you clean up our mess, right?" So that would be kind of a healthy thing that we're reaffirming the, the child and that we join them. We, we make a statement that we all make mistakes, which is true. Look at your neighbor one more time. They make mistakes, right, that we're human beings. You know, making mistakes doesn't mean we're hypocrites. It means we're human sometimes. We do dumb things. We just do dumb things. You know, the, the other week, I, I can't remember, I, I thought like a stat, And I think I was, like, way off, you know. And I'm like, man, thank God I didn't, like, actually write that down. I look ridiculous. And so even now I still do things where I'm like, why did I say that? That was so stupid. And we just do dumb things. And so, but the parent would would acknowledge that, hey, we all make mistakes. Let's let's be more careful next time, whatever. Value the person, and we go after behavior. If you grew up in kind of maybe a more unhealthy home, if you spilled the milk at four years old, you might have heard things like, why are you so clumsy? How could you do such a thing? You, you know, you're never careful, right? Like and, and what happens to kids is we go into our, our teenage years, middle school years, and beyond, we no longer think, I make mistakes. We begin to believe, I am the mistake. And for some of us, you need to hear that because there's something going on in your soul where you're like, something is wrong with me. And yes, we all make mistakes and we sin, but you... Are a future, if you're, if you're not a child of God right now, man, God wants you to be his kids, and you're redeemable. One of my concerns with, with our modern-day mob culture is we no longer make a distinction between personhood and behavior. And we demonize people for their opinions and their actions. Man, if, if you haven't met somebody in five years, you're meeting a brand-new person. They can change. And one of my concerns for our modern society is we don't let anyone change. Ever. Right? We, we're going to hold somebody to their bad decision forever. Because we've just become like a modern day mob culture. I just I'm a little concerned for us. But the Bible is all about people making changes and coming towards Christ and being eternally different. Can I get an amen? That's a great place to say amen. We believe in change. We believe people can change. We believe we don't have to stay the same way. We believe in a distinction between identity and behavior. And, and, and the world just hasn't figured that one out. But we believe, yo, I, I am different. I'm new. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. i, I do not the same person I was six years ago or even six months ago, even six weeks ago. You know, if you had a sin in your life six days ago and you sincerely repented and changed, you're new. You're different. Six hours ago. It, the, the distinction is the blood of Jesus, the Christ over you. So, so what, what am I saying? Words create worlds. And if you grew up in, in a home that spoke words of shame, and you grew up in a world of shame, and it's it's hard to kind of get beyond and, and above that now. And and here's the good news is that your opinion of yourself and anyone else's opinion of you is completely and totally inferior to God's opinion about you. This morning, I think we could all raise our hand and say that God is infinitely greater than I am. Therefore, his opinion over you is infinitely greater than you or infinitely greater than what I would say or anybody else would say over you. Can I get an amen? So we have to begin with how God the Father identifies me, and then I can go on and, and live, live on. Every now and then, guys, I've been in ministry about 16 years, and every now and then, it seems about every five years, I run across somebody that I would kind of consider almost a narcissist. And, 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 and here's the thing. They say in society about one in a hundred are, are narcissists. So don't look now, but there's at least one of you in this crowd right now. So, and no, and so like, like but here, here's the thing is that, and at the root of narcissism, is somebody whose life is dominated by shame and their ego of themselves is destroyed. It's depleted by shame, and, and they spend their whole lives trying to like get that ego back, and, and they become very, very, very self-absorbed. And what happens is if you're if you're if you're around some of this kind of people, Sean and I were talking about it earlier, he says, Man, I can think of a person right now in my life. As I start talking on this subject, you're gonna probably think of maybe one or two people, and it, it'll be pretty clear. But what happens, people that deeply, deeply struggle with shame, what they often start doing is they project their shame on you. And here's how how you you can tell is, is all of a sudden you're like, man, all my relationships are healthy. Why does this person think I'm so bad? Why is it even when I explain that they misunderstood, they won't let it go or let me get out of it? Why are they so convinced they have to pin me to a sin I didn't even commit? As I start chatting on this, you're going to start thinking of maybe a couple people. You're like, why do they accuse me so much? Why can't they let me go? Why can't we just have a normal conversation? The moment I solve one thing, there's another issue, right? In a weird way, people that deeply struggle with shame, they have to put their shame on you. If they can break you down, then somehow in their own mind, they remain a superior and they get like a weird sense of identity from that. And, and in my six years of ministry, I've really only ran across three. But man, the last time, man, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I'm like, why is this so crazy? Everything else in my life is good except this one thing. And what, what trips us up is we begin to think, man, maybe they're right. Maybe I did do that, or maybe I did mean that. And have you ever been around a relationship that you're like, "Why is this so confusing to communicate?" anybody Anybody been there like that, like like why do they think I'm such a terrible person? When I mean, it's just it's it gets weird, right? And so they deal with shame in such a great way that they're they're projecting. There's shame on us, and we begin to live and walk in it. So, some of you, if you grew up in homes where it's like, you know, it wasn't a healthy distinction between behavior and identity, man, you're gonna, you're gonna lean a little bit more towards struggling with shame. Or if you've been in a relationship with somebody that's a narcissist or even kind of a bully and they tried to control you through shame, you're gonna feel that. You're, you're gonna feel that on you and be like, man, I, I am a bad person. I am a terrible person. I, I, I can't get better until I can get you to drop the identity of what others say about you. I'll never be able to get you in the full freedom that God has for you. Because until you begin with correct identity, man, all the other actions and behaviors, uh, they they can't follow. Here's what psychologist Melissa Kirk says, and I love this. She says, there's many different ways that we shame others. Sarcasm, name-calling, expressing disgust, eye-rolling are all ways we communicate that someone else is not worthy of respect. Shaming behaviors make us feel superior to that other person as well as communicate to them that we'd wish they'd be or act differently without us having to actually be an adult and have a mature conversation with them. The same way teasing is often rooted in hostility, shame takes its energy from judgment and self-righteousness. Shame, in whatever form it takes, is a way to control the other person by using their deeply ingrained need for connection to threaten them with disconnection. It's genius and nefarious. Wow. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody that just tried to control you through shame, it was not fun. You know, and, again, like I've had that happen to me a few times in my life. And I'm getting smarter, though. Now I'm starting to, like, see it farther farther away. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little better. I can put my arms up and <laughs> protect myself now. But, but the thing is, is, like, there are people out there that want to load you with shame. Isn't that weird? Like, for most, 99% of us are like, I don't want anybody to feel shame. I don't want anybody to feel guilt. I want anybody to feel less than me. But every now and then you run across somebody, they want you to feel that way. And, and this morning, some of you, if you're under that, man, you, you want to come out of that. You want to set up a good boundary. All right, Pastor Matt, what, what can we do? How do we get out of this? How do we, I break shame in my own life? How do I break it maybe in a relationship setting? Pastor Matt, I'm 30. For 20 years, my parents, maybe they didn't make a distinction between behavior and, and identity. And man, I just, I feel terrible about myself. Number, number one, here's what we do take notes, write this down. I'm almost done. Give me five more minutes here. We'll, we'll close up. Number one, how do we get out of shame? How is grace greater than shame? We begin by believing what God has said about us. This is Romans 8, 38 and 39. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present or future, any powers, height, depth, anything else, that would include shame, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Begin by believing I am who God says I am. I am accepted, and I am loved. Wow, what a powerful thought. If you are in Christ this morning, you are accepted, and you are loved. Regardless of what anybody else wants to put on you, you are accepted, and you are loved. And we begin by believing that. We we believe the work of grace, what God has said about me. God's opinion of my life is almost like, like a reef barrier. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was diving in the Keys and, and the dive instructor said, hey, I want you to stay on the west side of the reef. If you get beyond the reef, those waves are too powerful and they're going to hit you too hard and they're going to bash you up against the reef. It's a little dangerous. So stay on the inside of the reef. Let the reef take all the waves for you and you're going to really enjoy your time in the ocean as you see everything. You're going to have calm waters. That is the identity of God over me. God's identity over my life takes all the waves of all the inferior opinions that come my way. Listen, you're old enough to know now that not everybody is your friend. Not everybody wants the best thing for you, right? If you disagree with somebody, you might get demonized. I mean, you've got to let the identity of God be a barrier in your life. Because it's strong enough to take the waves of all the inferior opinions. You get on the other side of that identity, you start living out in everybody else's opinion, you're going to be forever bashed in your soul, and you're going to wonder, why do I feel so terrible about myself? I would say, what kind of opinions are you listening to about you? If you open up the Bible and see who God says you are, faith is the result, love is the result. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Let's just take those first three, right? Like, like how much love is in your life, how much joy is in your life, how much peace is in your life. Shame won't bring any of those. And other people's opinions aren't going to bring any of those. So I want to be on the other side of God's reforming, for me, letting him identify and take, take the brunt of all those opinions. Number two, we want to know and believe in our core that we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. Romans 8, 1 through 3, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just pause right there. God has always valued you the person because he created you, wants you. We don't deserve it, but he 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 wants a relationship with us and he made a way for that to happen. There is value on your life. He's dealt with your behavior. Have we all done things that we feel guilty about and that we feel shameful about? Of course. Of course. I think we've all struggled with that in our past. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no shame, there is no more guilt. You know, if, if, you, if you're in something, you're like, oh, I want to get out. Man, if, if you just simply say, God, forgive me of my sin. I want to leave it. I want to be in a relationship with you. There's, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Even if you did it two days ago, there, there's no condemnation. That's, that's very, very, very powerful. When you and I know that we've been forgiven from our past sins, guilt, mistakes, that is so legit. And, and so the power in that is like, God, it, it frees me up to receive everything now that you want to give me which is love and acceptance and joy and, and grace. Amen? But I've, I've got to trust that I have been forgiven. I've been removed from my sin. N- number three, we believe in what God wants to do next. This, this is exciting for me, particularly for those of you that struggle with guilt and shame and never being perfect enough or whatever. I, I love this verse, Isaiah 61.7. He's talking to his children of in Israel. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they will rejoice. Wow! Instead of shame, there's going to be a double portion. What if I told you, instead of the shame that you live in right now, God has a double portion of peace for you? What if instead of shame, God has a double portion of favor for you? What if instead of shame, God has a double portion of like, the thing he wants to do in your life? What if you and I could trade our shame for joy? Amen? Here's the good news. We actually can You can literally lay down your shame this morning... And trade it for joy. I even feel God's presence right now as I'm talking about this because it's so powerful. You don't have to live under what other people have said about you. Maybe it's your parents or a coach or, or, or an ex or whatever it is. You don't have to live under it this morning. The only umbrella you need to live under is the identity of God. And if God has forgiven you, who is anybody else to hold your sin against you? Man, you ever had a relationship and they just never wanted to let your sin go? Hey man, you know what? God bless them, put up a boundary, but move on. You don't have to live under that. We all make mistakes. You are still loved and cared for and accepted. God has more. Instead of the shame, what if there is a double portion? Thanks for listening to City Life Church's podcast. Subscribe now to get new episodes each and every week. If you live in or ever in the South Florida area, come visit us on Sundays at Northeast High School in Oakland Park. You can also visit our website at citylift.church and keep updated with us on Instagram by following us at City Lift Church.